Well, welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. Thank you. Can we give a big shout out and a hand for all of the men at, at Life Church today? Just a big hand clap for all the men. If you are a, a man, whether you're 13 and your voice is doing like this, or you're 23, 25, 35, 105, it doesn't matter wherever you are. We're glad that you're here celebrating on this Father's Day. And so again, we, no disrespect ladies, um, and we're, I think today's message will be applicable to all of us, but uh, it's one of those opportunities to be able to just kind of talk to, uh, to everybody, but even to, uh, to really focus in on the men that are here today, again, on this Father's Day weekend. So here's what I know typically growing up in church. When it's Father's Day, it's typically a time for the dad to get beat up on about what a sorry loser you are and how you're not doing enough for the kingdom of God and how everybody's going to hell in a handbasket and it's all your fault. No? Okay. That typically is what happens a lot of times. And so what I want to do today is I just want to encourage you wherever you are in your journey with the Lord. I want to encourage you in your walk with God and encourage you of how much difference you make when you follow Jesus. I think sometimes what happens, especially in the world in which we live in, is that men or dads, I'm going to kind of use that interchangeably today if that's okay, they fall into a category where kind of, they're kind of the butt of jokes uh, on sitcoms, and I'm not against sitcoms, so don't email me about that. Uh, it's a little bit like they're kind of, it's kind of a buffoon, kind of it's not, it, it's very much uh, changed a lot of going from a, a person who's respected uh, and uh, to someone who's just kind of, again, always making out of touch, out of step, not really influential. The reality is, is what I want to show you today, not only does the data, uh, so those of you that are very empirical and logical, and that's kind of your brain, uh, not only does the data not support that whatsoever, but Scripture shows compl a completely different narrative when it comes to men and fathers especially and the power that God gives them and that they possess and that you possess in order to, to lead in this capacity. Now, let me say this. If you are a single female in the room, these are great notes to take because as you are looking for whoever Mr. Wright might be beyond, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, uh, you may want to add these qualities that we're going to talk about today to the repertoire. Um, for those of you that are, uh, that, that are young men and you're far away from fatherhood, these are things that I would encourage you to aspire to and, and to look to. For those of us that are um, fathers, these are things for us to live up to. And, and those of us that are in that situation where we're spouses, these are things to affirm in our husbands and in, and in, and in the men uh, in our home. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Matthew, chapter 5. But again, I want to talk about the influence that a man has in his world and his family. Uh, and, and with doing this, I can't preach a message like this without personally just kind of sharing. And, and it, I feel sometimes like it's like a broken record. Maybe it's because I speak multiple times on a weekend. Um, and maybe it's because I've been here for the amount of time that I have. But Again, I'm here today, not because in learning and loving God and loving my family and leading, even though I'm not perfect at all, but I'm here today not because of something that I learned in the pulpit or in seminary, but 
from the example that I had in my own dad growing up. Again, I grew up in a blue-collar, working-class family. Um, my dad was a, a United Auto worker. Uh, we were a union household. I, I used to mow the grass for the local UAW in the summer times, and and uh, all of that. I, I we were taught hard work and 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 go in and show up early and work late. And and my my dad was a uh, um, was a uh, was was not uh, a guy of many words. Uh, he wasn't now. He, he kind of is, but he kind of talks quite a bit now. But 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 growing up. Uh, somewhat stoic. I've only seen my dad kind of cry three or four times in my life. But my dad, on a regular basis, would tell me how much he loved me and how proud he was of me. And when you're a young man, even as a 47-year-old man, when my dad hugs me and gives me a kiss on the cheek and tells me he's proud of me, that's more affirmation. That's all the affirmation that I need to do whatever it is that God's called me to do. There's something about that so I learned how to affirm and to be affirmed, not from Bible college or from a professor or from a pastor, but from a man who got up and, and was at the plant at five o'clock on Monday morning. I, I think every time I prepare a message about my dad, there's, there's men like my dad that are sitting in the audience. And so my dad would always say things like, don't ever preach a message uh, that, that you're not living. Don't ever, don't ever take an offering that you're not giving in. Don't, don't ever lead people where you're not going because you cannot give people what you don't have and you can't lead them where you've not been. And so I learned how to, to love my wife and my kids for my dad. Uh, I remember growing up, and as a kid, I didn't think a whole lot about it, but you know, in the springtime, the tax returns would come, and, and, uh, and we would, it was Easter Sunday, and of course, back then, everybody got dressed up, and we all got new Easter clothes, but as I got older, I realized my dad never did, and the reality was, it was my dad always deferred to his wife, my mom, and to my brother and I, and, um, and I remember one summer, I was working at the factory, working at the plant, we were working 10-hour shifts, uh, and, and we were going in at like 4.30 in the morning to get there at 5. It was some ungodly hour. And I, I remember being at the railroad tracks, getting ready to turn over onto, onto the road where the plant was. And I looked at my dad and I said, why, why have you spent your life doing this? I mean, is this not like exhausting to you? Here I am, I'm, I'm 20, right? And I just think I know everything at that point in time. And, and uh, I'm going to get a college education because I don't want to work that hard kind of stuff. And, and he looked at me and said, simple. Had you and your brother and your mother. That's what a man does. He makes a commitment and he follows through with it. And son, don't ever forget that. That was it. <laughs> that was a full lecture, right? It was just like, and I'll never forget, I can take you to where we were in that 1980 Custom Deluxe uh, silver, uh, silver, uh, uh, Chevrolet pickup truck with uh, manual transmission, three columns on the stick. And I can just tell you right where we were when he said that to me. And then we go right in and it hit me. I've never forgotten. That's just what you do. That's how I learned how to love my wife and how to stay faithful in my home and, and how to live. It wasn't a Bible college professor. It wasn't seminary. It wasn't some eloquent sermon. It was a man who got up every day, put on uh, steel-toed work boots, uh, wore blue jeans and a t-shirt and safety goggles, built air conditioners in an unair conditioned factory. I'll never understand that one. And, uh, and lived his life in such a way. That's how I learned how to give to the church. I learned generosity from my father. 
I learned what it meant to be generous and kind to people. I'll never forget somebody backed into him at the plant and, and he, he didn't, he didn't, the guy didn't have any insurance and I didn't know this. I said, why did you not get it fixed? Well, the guy backed into me and well, why didn't you get it with insurance? And, and he said, well, he didn't have any insurance and I have a choice. He's got a young family. He's, his back's against the wall. I know some things that are going on and I just decided to let it go. And I remember as a, as, as, a, as a kid going, that's just crazy. And he goes, no, son, there are times when you see yourself in other people and you just give people a break. You just give them a pass. It's just a truck. And he walked in. I'll never forget seeing my father when I would come in with a Thompson Chain reference Bible and he was reading God's word. That's how I learned how to love God's word. It wasn't a Bible college professor. It wasn't some class. It wasn't some pastor or preacher. It was seeing my dad usually shirtless, if you really want to be honest with it, with a pair of shorts on in the living room. I never brought any, any dates home because my dad was always walking around the house that way with a pair of tennis shorts and a Bible. And, and anyhow, it's just a whole other story. <laughs> That's how I did. Tuesday, he got paid every Tuesday. He'd sit down at the, at the dining room table after dinner and he began to write checks. And the first check he'd write would be tithe, 10%. And he honored God that way. That's why I talk about tithing. Not because I'm the pastor of the church. I didn't grow up in the ministry. But because of that. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much education you have. I don't care how much money you make or you don't make. If you're a father, you have one of the greatest abilities to influence for the future and for your family than anybody else does. And so today I want to talk about that. So the statistics prove this out because I think many times men don't realize outside the church, children from fatherless homes account for 63% of suicides in America. Children from fatherless homes account for 71% of, teen, of, of pregnant teenagers, 90% of runaways, 85% of, of youths that are sitting in prison, 71% of high school dropouts, and 75% of teens that are in drug treatment facilities today come from fatherless homes, situations where dad was not around. Inside the church, the stats don't, aren't much different. Inside the church, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only 2% of children will regularly become Christ followers and church worshipers. If a father does not regularly go to church, 60, but if the father does regularly go to church, 67% of the children will attend as adults. These are just the stats. This is the number. These are the numbers. If a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability everybody else in the household will become Christ followers. If a mother is the first one in the household to become a Christ follower, there's a 17% probability everybody else in the household will follow. But if a father is the first to become a Christian, there's a 93% probability everybody else in the household will follow. Again, this isn't sexist. This is not, this isn't some kind of, this is just what the stats show to be true. So what does that look like in real terms and applicable ways that you can live that out? Mark chapter 5, there's a man named Jairus. And Jairus was, a, was, a, was an individual who most of the time when we read this passage, it's talking about the healing of his daughter. Anytime I really quite frankly have preached this passage, I preach it from that, that perspective. But I want to look at it from the perspective of a father 
not of a divine healing. You'll see the difference in just a minute. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. And it reads like this. When Jesus had crossed again and a boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he asked him urgently, my little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Then Jesus went with him and the large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now again, it's going to go on in, in verse 38 and talk about how Jesus will go into his house and he'll lay hands upon Jairus' daughter and, and, and she'll be healed and, and, and all that will happen. But I want you to catch this, and many times we read this and we read about the divine healing of Jairus comes to Jesus, Jesus comes, this is another one of the people that Jesus heals. But I want you to see it from the perspective of a, of a father. I want you to see how critical it is that Jairus, the father, goes to Jesus. When he's the one that goes to Jesus, what happens? And the influence and the difference that it makes. First of all, Jairus shows that he has reverence for Jesus. Jairus had reverence for Jesus. Look at verse 22 again. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So fell, meaning to descend from a higher place to a lower place. We know that Jairus is a, is a ruler of the synagogue, so he's a prominent leader. Again, he's not just someone that works in the synagogue. Again, in the first century uh, with the Jews, Israel, uh, if you were involved in the synagogue, the, the church and government were very tightly connected together. And so if you were a synagogue leader, you were a power broker in that day and time. You were a prominent leader. People knew who you were. You, 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 you floated in certain, certain uh, social circles and, and certain echelons. Uh, he would have been an individual who would have had a lot of respect and would have been respected. He would have had a lot of influence. He would have had a lot of affluence. He'd have been a man who would have kind of had it all. But he has a situation that's beyond his control. His daughter is sick. She's sick unto death. And again, this is not something that a, a religious ruler, the, the, a ruler in the synagogue, a leader in the synagogue would have done openly. Most of the time we see that, that religious leaders from the synagogue, when they interact with Jesus, they, they go to him when the crowds aren't around and when people aren't looking. But, but, but it's interesting that, that, that he comes to him with this moment when, when nothing else really mattered because his daughter was sick unto death. He's kind of at the end of his rope and doesn't really know what else to do. And, and he approaches Jesus and he, he, he leaves a place of entitlement. He, he leaves a place of arrogance and he comes to him with sincere humility. That's what I want you to catch. That's a characteristic. He, he just humbly comes to Jesus. He doesn't really worry about what anybody else is thinking or anybody else's idea is. It's just him and Jesus. Is that how you come to Jesus? Not real worried if it's popular or if it's not popular. People like it or they don't like it. How, what are people going to think about me? I'm in a worship service. I'm not really worried about if, if, if you like the song or if you're looking at me or you're paying attention. I'm only living this moment for the audience of one. See, in that moment, no one else mattered. In that moment, no one else was around. He was encountering Jesus, and he goes before him in a very public place, and he just reverences himself. He, just, he reveres Christ in such a way that he drops to his knees before he even makes a request of him. Dads, men, this is what we need to model. 
Regardless how prosperous or influential or affluential we may be in the community or in the world in which we live in. But when it comes to our relationship with Christ, we have such reverence and we live with such reverence and we walk with such humility. It doesn't matter how much power or, or, or prominence that we, that we exude or that we have around us. When, when, when we come to Jesus, that's what we need to model. That's what we need to show. Men that aren't ashamed to kneel before Jesus in public and at home. Men who will, who will be like Jairus, who will admit their need for God before their families and everyone else, that they're helpless and they're hopeless without the help of the Lord. This makes a huge difference. Because again, sometimes for men, it's counterintuitive because you think, well, I'm not gonna let my guard down. I'm not gonna let anybody see me be emotional. I'm not gonna let me see anything of that nature. But, but, the, but the truth of the matter is, is that your children are looking for your humanity. They're looking for your emotional side. They're looking for who you are. The people that are around you wanna know. They know where the cracks are. If you're leading in a corporation or organization or in a business, they, they know where you're strong and where you're not. So when you openly admit it, when, when you just kind of go, hey, I'm, I kind of not great here and kind of got a blind spot here and there's a certain amount of humility, it, it actually attracts people. It, it, it's actually encouraging. And you just walk with a certain sense of humility in your life, but not just humility in life, but humility when it comes to Christ. If you want your sons and your daughters to serve God and worship him, then they're going to look to you. If you want them to, to, to read God's word, they're going to look to you. If you want them to be active and regular in church, they're going to look to you. If you want them to serve, then they're going to look to your service. If you want them to work, they're going to look to you. They're going to look to you. Because the Bible is very clear about this, that when we teach and train our children in the way that they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Oh, they may have a few, a few errant ways. They, 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 they may have to sow the proverbial wild oats for a season. There, there may be a season that they're on a prodigal journey coming to the end of themselves. But the time is going to come. They will come to the end of themselves. And when they come to the end of themselves and they're coming home, who will see them? The father saw him while he was yet a long way off. Why? Because he operates in reverence and humility in the face of Jesus. Second thing we see here is that Jairus had a reliance upon Jesus. There's this complete reliance upon Jesus. Look at it in verse 23. And he asked him urgently, my little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. I mean, just a complete declarative uh, 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 statement. If you'll come and you'll lay your hands on her, she'll live. Just very simple. There is this reliance upon Jesus, this submission to who he is. He was well aware, Jairus was, that his wealth couldn't buy healing. He knew his social position, his power couldn't give him access. He also knew he was helpless. If you're a dad, when you hear that and you think about that, it cuts you to the core because when your child is sick, there is nothing you won't do to try to bring healing to your child. There's no extent you won't go. There, 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 there's, no, there's no journey that's too far. But Jairus knew that he was weak and the only strength that he had was going to be found in the Lord, that Jesus would be his strength. He would be his healer. He was his only hope. Again, dads, men, it's our responsibility to lay all that's within our sphere of influence before the Lord and to trust him. That says a lot. But are you living life that way? Where everything that you have is before the Lord. 
There's a complete submission before the Lord. Your, your kids know you're strong. They, they think that you're the smartest guy in the world because you can do those math problems in your head. Thank God for the third grade. Because when it hits sixth grade, you're, you're lost, right? Amen? And this new math stuff, I still don't think it works. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm still, I, I think we're going to go back to the way we did it back in the old school days. Amen. Anyhow, another message for another day. But your kids look at you. And they see strength in you. You don't have to flex. You don't have to strut. You don't have to put on. They, that's how they view you. That's how God created them. And they long for your approval, for your affirmation. And they're looking to see who do you submit to? Who do you bring yourself below? How, how, how do you do your business? How do you do your life? So your children are looking to you to see how you interact with their mother, with your wife. And they're taking cues all the time. This is what a man does. This is how a man acts. Respect, dignity, deference kindness. They, they're, they're looking to see how, how you discipline. Is it consistent or inconsistent? They're, they're looking to see, do you ever admit that you're wrong? I mean, I can just tell you, I was a teenager, and again, I was full of, 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 of all that and, 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 and myself, and I remember there was a situation, and, and my dad, it was the first time in my life, one of the only times in my life, that my dad had, had said, you know, hey, I think I missed it on this. I was wrong. We were standing in the driveway at the house, and, and I could tell you exactly where we were standing, and, and he just said, I just want to let you know I'm sorry. I, I, I overreacted in the situation. I thought it was this, but it wasn't that. I thought it was you, but it wasn't you, and it was your brother, of course, and so so, you know, here's the deal. Again, I remember hearing and seeing that. And as a father going, there are going to be times I'm going to miss it. I remember talking to a counselor one time about something with the girls. And, and I, said, I said, do you think it did damage? And he said, probably, probably. But, but kids are resilient. They'll get over it. You know, it's okay. No big deal. Because these kids don't come to you with instruction books and manuals and tutorials and YouTube channels. It just doesn't exist and so you're trying to, to not just lead you, but lead your family and lead your kids and, and love the Lord and, and all those things. And so sometimes that pressure and that responsibility begins to wait on you, but your children are looking. And if you'll just submit yourself to Jesus and, 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 you will, and, and what you do, they'll take the cue on that. If, if church is just something that you do on the weekends to pacify your spiritual self, but, but you have no regard for your relationship with Christ Monday through Friday, your kids will see it. And that's the cue that they'll take. Church is basically there. It, it's just, it's fire insurance to keep you out of hell and to pacify people. Or, no, 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 this relationship with Jesus Christ is truly empowering, and it's truly life-changing. And it's not just something that we do, it's who we are. We're followers of Jesus Christ, and so we're submitted unto him. And we do this because this is what the word says. We do this because this is what the word says. 
Trust me, this isn't easy. And especially you think, well, it'd be really easy if you're a pastor. No, no, it makes it twice as hard because every time I'm leading my daughters, every time we're leading our family, I have to make sure they understand. This isn't because dad's a pastor. This isn't because this is professional courtesy. No, this is because we're followers of Christ. And I'll ask my daughters, okay, are you a follower of Christ? And they'll be like, yes, dad, we've had this conversation. Yes, I am. Okay, what does that mean? Well, because you're a follower, well, because if you're not, then this doesn't apply to you. Because you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe who Jesus is, so forget all that stuff. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a follower of God's word, then you've got to submit yourself to that. You lost your rights a long time ago. So the question that you're about to ask me is a mute question and a mute conversation because the Bible already answers it. You can't do it. <sighs> and it's not because I'm the pastor. That's why I always tell them. It's because you're a Christ follower. It's true. And so the reality is, is even teaching and training our kids. Do you really, it, this is what mom and I believe. This is who the God that we serve. And we want you to serve the same God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and we want you to love Jesus. And we want you to serve Jesus. But that's your choice. You know, God has no grandchildren. You understand that? Like there's no grandchildren in, hell, in heaven. We're all sons or daughters of Christ. That's it. There's no grandchildren or great-grandchildren. You don't get there because of how sweet your grandmother is. God rest her soul. You get there because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And your children will get there because they've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the number one factor in that is going to be you, Dad. Woo, that's some pressure. But that should also encourage you that you are not the add-on that, that media would make you out to be or some buffoon or the, or the butt of a joke that some, that some sitcom would make you out to be, but that God's put you into a place of influence in your home and your family, but you have to show that and lead that. And I can hear some man saying, yeah, but you know, what about we live in a day and age where you know, women and rights? I've never, ever, ever heard a woman gripe because her husband took spiritual leadership in the home, ever. You ladies are really excited about that. I'm just saying, I've just never had a woman go, my husband is praying too much or my husband wants to serve God too much or my husband is driving me nuts because he wants us to go to a life group and be around other people. I just, this doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Sorry, guys. The third thing we see Jairus is that he had a relationship with Jesus. He has a relationship with Jesus. The key to this is a relationship. Look at verse 24, and Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. The relationship comes all the way back from verse 22 when he bows down and acknowledges the supreme authority of who Jesus was in public. A public confession of his faith. And in verse 38 of Mark's gospel, chapter 5, Jesus enters into the home, and he heals his daughter. He wasn't ashamed of his relationship with Christ. He didn't just let Jesus be something that happened at church on Sunday, but it was something that he brought into his home. This is important. If you truly have a relationship with Christ, it's not just something that you do, it's something that you be. And I know that's not grammatically correct, but the Bible talks in John's Gospel, chapter 15, that we are to it's in being, not in our doing, that where the strength comes from. It's in the abiding in the vine. It's the being. It's not the doing. 
And so as I abide in him and he abides in me, I, 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 I will ask and God will do. And because there's this, there's this relationship with the father, with, with the son. And, and, and I have this relationship because I, I'm in Christ and Christ in me. And so what I do is not just something that affects my Sunday morning. It's not just something that affects me out in public. But Jesus is something that affects the way I live my life at home. This is really important. Because, again, your kids are not going to do what you tell them to do. They're going to do what they see you do. And the duplicities that they see in your life, they'll replicate those. Or at least there will be allowances for those. Jairus doesn't just have Jesus' public profession of faith in public, but he brings him all the way into his home. And when he brings him into his home, that's when the true miracle takes place. See, it's not important that I'm famous anywhere else. It's important that I'm famous in my home. It's not just important that I publicly profess who Jesus is out there, but it's that Jesus is professed in my home. This is how we live in our home. Who cares that I'm the pastor of the church? Who cares how big the church is or how small the church is? Who cares what degrees I have? Who cares what, who people think about me? What do my daughters, what does my wife, what does my family say of me? That, that is way more important than everything else. Because everything else, that's my reputation. But with my family, that's my character. That's who I really am. I can fool you every week, but I'm not going to fool them day in and day out. Because they live with me. They see me. They're around me. They'll tell you my imperfections. They'll tell you my flaws. They'll tell you my struggles. They'll tell you my strengths or those that they know about. But, but the truth of the matter is, 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 that, is that Jesus is not just something that we do out there, but it's something that we live in our homes. See, the responsibility for spiritual formation of our families doesn't rest solely on the shoulders of the church. This isn't something you can relegate to the youth pastor or to the kids pastor or to a weekend service. It's you. Moms and dads, it's you. And it's our responsibility to lead in this way. So men, where does this message find you today? Are you saved and living out your Christian testimony for your family and others? Are you placing your challenges just like Jairus did in the arms of Jesus and allowing him to fix and not you try to fix everything on your own? Are you inviting Jesus and welcoming not just into your life publicly, but privately? I want to encourage you, dads, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, to humble yourself privately and publicly before Jesus. To submit yourself to his lordship in your life and in your home. And to commit yourself in a relationship with him today. Even if you're not a Christ follower, simply say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, forgive me my sins today. And he will. Because you are the biggest single indicator of how your family, how your children are going to serve the Lord. I'm gonna ask every man in this room, would you simply stand, even if you're watching by video, even if you're watching online, would you stand every guy, every man, not just dads, every man in this room, would you just stand all across this room and I'm gonna pray for you. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna pray for you. 
I'm gonna pray for you. Pray that God's hands be upon you and that he strengthens you. Listen, you make a huge, huge, huge difference. People are looking at you, no pressure, but God's equipped you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray for you? Father, I just pray for every one of these men that are standing today. I pray, God, that you would just put your hand upon them. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there be any man that's here that's far away from you, Lord, he would just simply confess his sin and ask you to come into his heart and come into his life, that he can make a decision right now in this moment while we're praying to follow you. God, I pray that you would just surround them, surround them and give them strength. I pray for those in this room that are fathers and they're in the thick of life. I just pray, God, you would just give them strength, God, to know that you, your hand is upon them and that you're, and that you're with them and that they're not alone. I, I pray for those that, Lord, that, that are, 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 are not, they're not dads. God, I, I just pray that you would let them know, Lord, how, how much you love them and just put your hand upon them. I just pray your blessings be upon these men, your strength be upon these men, your hand be upon them. And I just pray, God, let your, let, let this word just encourage them today as they humble themselves, as they submit themselves into a relationship with you, that it doesn't just affect them, but it affects all the people that surround them. That's how you created them, to lead. And I pray help them do that today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. As these men are seated, can we give them a big hand? Amen.